So for those of you at home, I'm uh, Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here welcoming all of you to Easter Sunday. I, I, I don't know how you're feeling today. I don't know what you come to church with. Uh, I don't know why you're here. Maybe a friend, a loved one, a family member drug you to church today. Uh, I'm just glad you're here because I want to share something with you that is new for me that I ha- can't, can't, haven't been able to say, I would say, for probably at least three years now. And we've been through a lot in the last few years, haven't we? I can honestly say today, I'm excited. Amen? I'm excited because it's Resurrection Sunday, of course. And it's the day when we celebrate the surprising and miraculous and affirming love and power of God to unexpectedly and overwhelmingly reverse the curse of sin in our lives, to overcome the power of death, to reveal his plan of salvation from before the creation of the world, that through the sacrifice of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of his resurrection, that the divine spirit of God that was alive in Jesus is now made available to come alive in each one of us and with anyone who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. I'm excited because it's Resurrection Sunday. But I can also tell you that I'm excited because I genuinely believe that God is doing something new today. I believe that God is calling us as a people. God is calling us as a church. God is calling us as his people that he created. And he's inviting us to a deeper experience of his presence and his power in our lives. And I want to suggest to you today that that may have nothing to do with church itself. Here at Faith Covenant Church, we've recently completed a series called Navigating Life's Transitions, and in it we learned that it is often in the midst of the most difficult and challenging seasons of life when God is doing his deepest work within us. And who can deny that all of us collectively as human beings and as a society are still working through the challenges and the outcomes of this global pandemic that we've been through that that we're still experiencing and we don't even fully see and understand all the outcomes that are happening as a result. I'm excited today because in spite of the challenges and the difficulties that we continue to face and that I know will continue to come, I believe God is using this time to strip away all of the falsehood and the distraction and all of the things that seem to be so right and so good, but which have only served to perpetuate our busyness and to encourage our selfishness, to contribute to our feelings of isolation and to mask the truth of the deeper emptiness and loneliness that we all carry inside. And so today I want to take some time to introduce you all to a new series that we're going to be starting called The Way of Jesus, in which it will be a study of the the parables of Jesus through which we will seek to return to the teachings of Jesus and discover that the way of Jesus is the way we might better pursue together as followers of Jesus the very life of Jesus within us which is what the Bible says faith in Jesus is really all about. 
Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here because it's Easter Sunday and it's a holiday, I I apologize. I understand. Uh, You know, we're glad you're here and you can take this for what it's worth. But I just would also like to suggest that just maybe God has brought you here for a reason. Maybe you've had a negative experience of church in your past, or maybe you've had negative relationships with people who have called themselves Christians but have uh, behaved as anything but. And so I'd like to suggest for you that this series might be an opportunity for you to consider Jesus again for the first time or or in a new way, and and perhaps to, to see him in a new light that this might be a safe space for you to come freely with your questions and with your doubts and without any obligation, to simply consider what Jesus actually taught and the way that Jesus invites his disciples to actually live. And so starting next Sunday, we'll also be launching what we're going to call the Way of Jesus 50-Day Challenge. Now, 50 days is the the amount of time from Easter to Pentecost. That's what Pentecost means, is 50 days. And and that's the time when the the gift of the Holy Spirit was given. And so during those 50 days, over the course of seven weeks, we're going to explore the stories that Jesus told. And we'll also be invited to experience a different prayer practice each week that's connected to the parable that we're studying where we will be uh, invited to simply allow the life of Christ to be more fully formed in us. It's not about our own performance for God, but it's about the willingness and the challenge to allow the life of God to be formed in us. There'll be guided instruction for each day, and we'll be sending out more details this week so those who are interested can be a part of it. But we also have this new feature now that we call Text in Church, and so if you want to sign up to be a part of the 50-Day Challenge, you can get out your phone right now, or next Sunday you can come back and be a part of it, and you just simply text 50-Day to that phone number, that's our Text in Church phone number, and you'll get connected with all of the things that are coming for the 50-Day Challenge. Finally, as a companion to the series, for those who are interested, we'll be reading through a book by Helen Shapiro called Christ-Shaped Character, in which she will help us to explore various experiences, or as she calls them, pathways that help lead us to God. As part of her invitation to readers in the book, she says, I've seen that when I reflect on my own life experiences... When I am alert to God's presence and alive to Christ's love, I grow as a Christ follower and as a human being living in God's world. This book is an invitation for you to follow not me, but Jesus into the stories of your own life. And so I'd encourage you, if any of this is attractive to you, you can buy the book online. If it's helpful, we have books available here at the church today that you can purchase from us. But if you're at all interested, I'd also encourage you to consider inviting a friend or several friends, or joining a group to go through this book together. Uh, If you are interested and don't have a friend or a connection in that way, you can talk to us and we can help network you. Uh, For example, Leslie Bloomquist is hosting a disciple group for women that's going to be going through this book together over the nine weeks, starting this week on Thursday morning at 9.30. They're going to meet at the Starbucks in Fred Meyer right here in Sumner. Uh, So we can connect you with her or other things. We'll have some flyers out there in the lobby. All of this, I just wanted to get out and share with you that this is where I believe God is leading us at Faith Covenant Church and the invitation he is giving to us to maybe jump into something new and to experience his presence and his power in our lives in a new way. I'm excited 
because of what God is doing. I'm excited because it's Resurrection Sunday. I'm excited because I believe God wants to do something new for me and for you in the season ahead. At its core, that's really what the good news of Jesus is all about. It's not about how much God says you're messing it up. It's not about how you should be trying harder to be a better person or to be a better Christian or to be a more successful human being. It's about a God who loves you just the way you are today, who knows you better than you know yourself. And in spite of the fact that he knows you, he loves you just the same. And he wants to share his life with you to show you that there is perhaps a better way of living, a way that maybe you didn't even realize was available to you. You see, it's not about learning to follow all the right rules in order to be acceptable to God and to measure up to the eyes of the church or the eyes of other Christians or even in the eyes of the society around us. It's about learning from Jesus how living for ourselves first about pursuing religious practices in order to make ourselves feel better or to appear better in the eyes of others will always leave us feeling empty and isolated and alone. That's why Jesus came and gave his life to free us from an empty form of living that always requires more and more effort, trying to make ourselves acceptable enough or successful enough or popular enough or, dare I say, spiritual enough to think that we'll measure up to all of the expectations that we believe we have to live up to in order to be valued and accepted and loved, whether it's by God or by our own family, by our friends or the society around us, maybe even to be loved and accepted ourselves within our own heart. In the last few weeks leading up to Easter, we've been reminded here at Faith Cove about how Jesus reveals the complete ineffectiveness of all of our own efforts to try and save ourselves, to try and make ourselves happy, whether it be through religious practices or otherwise. In their book titled The Incarnation of God, John C. Clarke and Marcus Peter Johnson say, the incarnation of God in Jesus, that, that God became human in Jesus, is a monumental rebuke of our misguided aspirations, for it alone accomplishes the severe mercy of rendering absurd any notion that reconciliation between God and humanity is accomplished from the side of humanity. We do not seek and find a reclusive God, they say. His love pursues and overtakes us in the midst of our own rebellion. And then I love this quote. They say, in an ironic and astounding fashion, God brings about reconciliation between himself and humanity from his side alone, not by repudiating our humanity, but by assuming it. God has made the body of our Lord the place where humanity and the divine truly meet. Now, according to the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross and to give his life as a sacrifice to the Heavenly Father and for the sin of the world, he challenged his followers and those who came to hear him teach with this parable. Beginning in chapter 1 in verse 33, he says, listen to another parable. 
There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers who moved and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. This is like a, a, a sharecropper arrangement, right? He rents it to these farmers. They harvest the land, and then the, as the owner, he gets a percentage of the, the fruit of the crop. So he's coming for what is his due. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent his other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants. He will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now, in any parable, there can often be multiple layers of meaning. Like any scripture passage, it's important to first understand what it meant to the people who it was originally addressed to. And by understanding the original meaning, then we can hope to apply it to our lives and understand how the meaning of it for them applies to us today. And so here in the Gospel of Matthew, there are some clues to the original meaning of this parable of Jesus. First, scholars suggest that in the opening verses about the forming of the vineyard and the creation of the protective wall and the raising of a watchtower are all clear references to the Old Testament passage that's found in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. Really quickly, I just want to read a few verses from that chapter. In verse 1, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And then if you jump to verse 7, it gives the explanation where it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, and for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so we see from the beginning that Jesus' parable is first and foremost about God's relationship with his people. But secondly, as we see later, this quotation about the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone is also a direct quote from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, that clearly places the focus of the parable not on a judgment against the people of Israel, but a judgment of the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders in the temple. These builders who were the ones that rejected 
the stone that was sent by God. Now, there's a wordplay going on here in the original Hebrew between the word stone, which in Hebrew is Eben, and the word for son, which is Ben. And so the parable says that in the same way that the religious leaders have rejected the various messengers that God has sent and the prophets of God throughout the ages, so now they are also rejecting the ultimate messenger, the ultimate envoy that God has sent in his own son. The very ones who claim to know God and to speak for God are the very ones who fail to recognize the arrival of God's presence in the messenger of the Son of God himself. This is confirmed in the story in verses 45 and 46 when the religious leaders themselves, right? It says they recognize Jesus is talking about them. That's why they wanted to find a way to arrest him and to eliminate him. But it also signals that this rejection of Jesus will ultimately be reversed by God. That while these leaders who will lose their role in fulfilling God's purpose, nonetheless, this stone, this son that is rejected, God will place as the cornerstone, as the foundation of the new thing that God is wanting to do in Israel and in the world. Now, Jesus often uses parables to invite his listeners to put the gospel message into their own context. He tells a story and then he invites listeners to consider themselves in relation to the story. And we see here that Jesus turns to his listeners and he asks them essentially, given such a scenario, what would be the appropriate response of the vine of the vineyard owner? What do you think an owner should do in such a situation? Or, or maybe more importantly, if you were the vineyard owner, what would you do? What would your response be? How would you react to such an affront to your rights, to your property, to your own son? And so for us in this parable, I'd like to suggest today that it's an important reflection as well on Jesus' mission from God and his identity and who he is to you and me. He's the one who comes as more than a prophet. He's the one who comes in intimate relationship to the Heavenly Father. He's the one who comes to understand that it's people's rejection of Him that determines our involvement or lack of involvement in the presence in the kingdom of God. Like many other parables, this is a parable about our human response to God. Will people respond to the claims that God has on their lives or will they reject His messengers and His word in favor of their own agenda? Will they live productively to produce fruit for God and God's kingdom, or will they live destructively by severing any claims of God on their lives? Will they accept God's Son as His ultimate envoy and invitation to relationship with Him, or will they reject Him, thinking to claim the right to their own lives completely apart from Him? You see, even though people may reject the Son of God, Jesus indicates here that nonetheless, it is upon this rock, this Son, that God's kingdom is to be established. And while the world may think that it has shrugged off the expectations and the demands of the vineyard owner, thus taking control of their own lives and their own fate, what they fail to realize is in that very rejection of the Son, they are proclaiming their own judgment. How does that work? The judgment of God is not that God rejects anyone. 
but that God has sent his messengers, God has sent his word, God has sent his son, and that we have rejected him. In the same way that Jesus was inviting people in his day to see the new thing that God was doing and the miraculous gifts and the blessing that he was bringing into a reality, so too, if we have eyes to see, we might see that God is doing something unexpected and new in our day. And God wants to do something new and unexpected for you today. But I also want to be clear that that the Bible tells us that this is not something that we can accomplish in our own strength. It's not something that we have to do more of in order to somehow get it right. It's something that we must allow God to do in us first. And only then can God's love flow through us to change us from the inside out. We too must allow the stone which the builders rejected to become the foundation stone upon which we seek to begin to rebuild the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our own relationships, the brokenness within our own faith communities, the brokenness within our own society. I'm excited today. I'm excited because it's Resurrection Sunday, but I'm excited not only that Jesus is alive, but that we can begin to understand how his unique gift of his life, death, and resurrection means that he has become the human representative to God and before God so that he can represent us to him. And when we say yes to Jesus and we accept his lordship in our life, then his righteousness and his mercy and his grace is attributed to us, not because of anything we've done, but because he simply invites us to come and put our trust in him for the way of life that he has invited us to experience that we can only be found in him alone. His righteousness overwhelms and overshadows our unrighteousness when his character is formed in us and he becomes more and more the life that is living inside of us and we become more like him as we follow him. And the Bible says that it is the very presence of the divine spirit of Christ within us that comes when we say yes to Jesus. That is what washes us clean and that makes us pure, that refines our spirits and puts us in right relationship with God, not because anything that we have done or can do, but simply because of the gracious and loving gift of a heavenly father who doesn't want to see us separated, separated from him and lost and hurting, but to be found and restored and renewed in our spirit and in our soul. It's a loving gift that comes from God solely when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and as the only savior that humankind will ever know. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are 
so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'm excited because it's Resurrection Sunday. I'm excited because God is doing something new in our lives and in our church. Again, in the book, The Incarnation of Christ, they say the Christian life can be an imitation of Christ only because it is first a participation in the life of Christ. And that's what the Way of Jesus series is all about. And that's what our 50-day challenge is going to be about, is to come together and to participate in seeking to allow the life of Christ to be formed in us in a new way so that we can experience the Way of Jesus as he originally invited and meant his disciples to experience. It's not about how to try and make ourselves better or to live up to someone else's expectations of us, but to seek Jesus first and to allow him to shape us from the inside out. Are you up for the challenge? Are you open to the possibility that God might be wanting to do something new in you and for you in this season? To allow that stone, that son that was rejected to become the new foundation upon a new experience of life that he wants to reveal to you and lead you into that maybe you didn't even expect when you showed up here this morning. So I want to invite you to, to join us as we seek to return to the teachings of Jesus in order to discover the way of Jesus. So that as followers of Jesus, we might be better pursuing the life of Jesus within us, which is what the Bible says faith in Jesus is really all about. It is only in Christ that we as human beings can participate in and share the divine life that is his alone. But it's a life that he desires to share with you and to plant in you so that we all can produce the kind of fruit that God ultimately desires from his vineyard, which is the fruit of blessing and encouragement and joy and everlasting life with him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. And we're excited that it's Easter Sunday. God, I pray that all of us in this room today are, are more excited now than we were before that, that there's a possibility that you might be doing something new in our lives. And that a part of uh, discovering the way of Jesus in new, in new ways in the season ahead, you are going to invite us to experience your life within us in new ways that we never imagined before. God, give us the courage and the strength to say yes to Jesus today. And to follow him in the way that he will lead us as we study the stories that he told that lead us to the way of life that he has for us. And God bless us as we continue to celebrate the newness of life in the resurrection of Christ on this Easter Sunday that we know we can only have in and through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.